you may know that we have a one-year renewable approach to membership at Blue Ocean, Ocean Faith. So, you know, I've, I've been a member for two years and I hope to renew for 2018. And we have a series in the middle of the fall to kind of uh, talk a little bit about what it means to be part of our church. And this is the beginning of that series. Um, I, I, think it's, I think you're going to really like this series. Um, just a few practical things about the membership process before I launch into that. Um, if you get our weekly update, you'll be receiving later today a weekly update which includes a file copy of our membership booklet, which gives you all the basics about Blue Ocean Faith. So we'll, we'll be putting that out in the next few, few weeks, and, but it'll be in your inboxes uh, sometime this afternoon. Um, you also want to pay attention to the fact that we have uh, letters uh, that are the way you signify your intention to be a member for 2018. It's just like, yeah, I want to be a member. Here's, here's my contact information. And you make uh, whatever your financial commitment is going to be to the church, you put that on here. We encourage people to do the online um, regular giving, but of course that's up to you um, how you do that. Um, so you just uh, fill out this letter and return it. Many of you know, hey, I'm, I'm going to be renewing my membership, so you can do that anytime. Those letters are back at the, at the table. And then there's also these uh, nifty, um, Emily, I think, mentioned this, the, uh, very, all the different things that uh, are required to make church happen on a Sunday. We have a board for each one of those, and it's like teardown. This is the teardown team. Arrives at 11 o'clock. Uh, serve every other month, odd evening, put away the name tag wreath, put away the altar and altar items, blah, blah, blah. Every other month, you just sign up and you're good to go. So that's the stuff that's over at the welcome table. And that stuff will be on the welcome table for the next six weeks so you can get familiarized with it. Okay, so our, uh, our new series, where's my notes? Here they are and all this stuff. Um, Blue Ocean Faith in Less Than 70 Words. We're unapologetically into God, as God can be experienced in, through Jesus, who offers a new kind of belonging to the world. We also believe adults should be treated like adults, so we don't presume to tell you what to believe or what to think. Our culture is, I'd say, invitational, um, participatory, and exploratory. So it's kind of a try it out, see how it works. Um, um, your questions, your doubts, your I can't buy that selves are absolutely welcome here. We think God is more about connections than he is about uh, answers. So we're going to be using for, as a companion to our um, series, Brene Brown's book. Um, and the title says it all. Brene Brown is a, is a researcher from the University of Houston I believe Brene Brown has the most listened to TED Talk. Is it 30 million? Something like that on, on the art of vulnerability. I think it is, and she's written a lot of stuff. This is, I think, the second series we've done using Brene Brown's book where we kind of mirror Brene Brown stuff and stuff from scripture and our lives, and it's, a, it's fun. But the, the, this title says it all, Braving the Wilderness, the quest for true belonging and the courage to stand alone. So it's like one of the best titles and subtitles for describing a book that I've ever seen. Um, we need to belong to a community just as human beings to thrive, but it's also important not to lose ourselves 
in our belonging. So that's the tension she's dealing with in this book. Um, to get us launched, I wanted to hear a story from Tim. So Tim is actually uh, the president of our, of our Blue Ocean Board. So Tim, you want to come on up here and tell your story? Um, let's get Tim his... Uh... If you don't like Tim, you need a personality transplant, so... Tell Rich that every now and again when it's getting annoying, you know. Yeah. You tell him that, Ken. That might be good. <laughs> yeah, I'll, t I'll tell him. I will. <laughs> Easy for me to... <clears throat> okay. Well, I've been a member of the church for two years, too, and I love this church, and I love every one of you that are involved in it as I get to know you more and more and uh, what we're about, and that's about learning together how to be a completely inclusive church, you know, serving God through, through in that way. So I think it's really cool, and I'm really excited about it. So Ken wanted another note to self, okay? So I've been gone four weeks, so it's great to see you all. And then Ken calls me on Friday and says, can you do a talk on Sunday at church? And so it's like, I'm going to be around a little bit more, you know, so I don't get that call on Friday and have to figure things out. <laughs> so I'm supposed to talk about really quick uh, what it was like before, what happened, and what it's like today in terms of my journey to find God. And I only have a couple minutes to do that. I'm almost 60. So, you know, uh, to talk about that in a very quick period of time, I'm going to try to do that. So, um, before, and this was, when I say before, this was up to my mid-30s, okay? Um, I was uh, inside this scared, sad little kid, you know, and I was full of fear. My life was ruled by fear, you know, fear of being exposed, fear of being found out, fear of uh, not measuring up if people really knew about me. And um, I did anything I could to, to fit in and to belong. So I was raised Catholic with lots of rules. I liked that because, you know, I just had to follow the rules, even though I wasn't very good at it. You know, I could follow the rules, and then I'd be somehow okay. I'd somehow be good, you know, in my mind and others' mind. Um, when I went to college, I came here and got involved in a Christian community, a very strict rules-based community, um, which was really focused, as I think about it now, more on right behavior versus right being. Um, and that brought with it all kinds of things. One of them was that even though I knew I was gay, probably, the thing I needed to do to fit in and, and how I was counseled in the group was the next step is to get married, which I did uh, to a beautiful woman, actually. And I have three great kids as a result, so there's no regret. Um, but I, the, being true to myself wasn't there at that point. Um, 
What I turned out to be was a whitewashed kind of empty tomb. You know, I kind of looked good on the outside, at least I thought I did. And uh, probably those who know, knew me better <laughs> probably didn't think so. <laughs> but um, a whitewashed tomb. I was afraid of everything. Um, again, that I wouldn't measure up, that I'd be found out, that people would see my hole that was big inside of myself, you know. So um, what had happened then? I got involved in the throes of addiction. And any of you that have had family members, or you yourself are, or others, you know the tragedy uh, for the individual involved, and everyone actually that knows them. It's a family disease. <clears throat> so what happened in the midst of all of that? And again, like, this is like the mid-30s, okay? So um, I found that I needed to surrender and start the work from from within, to take, to build from within in, instead of externally, how I looked and how I behaved. I had to question everything, and I did. And this was years. I had to question what, who was God? And what was he in relationship to me? And me in relationship to him? I had to question my family, my marriage, the friends that I had been friends with for, you know, 20, 25 years. Um, and, uh, and I had to question church, obviously, uh, as a part of this. So, um, and again, this process didn't happen quickly. It, it, it was, and frankly, still is a journey, um, which I love, frankly. So today, what's today like? I mean, I have had a spiritual experience. I am renewed. Um, and for me, a spiritual experience is a fundamental shift in my personality and in my attitudes. And that didn't come from me. It came from God um, in his mercy and grace to me. I found that uh, it, was, it was a miracle. It, it was interesting. It's a miracle from the outside, but it was happening within me. So God, in his infinite mercy kind of touched me and um, and I'm really grateful for that and it's not a one-time deal for me it's like it's a daily reprieve you know I have to surrender daily and I have to uh, attempt to be the person that God wants to me, me to be on a daily basis but I can tell you today that I certainly do have purpose and I have a direction in my life which is beautiful from where I was just being in this confused, you know, empty state. Um, I want to emphasize again, it's all from God. Uh, I, I stand up here as a miracle um, uh, from God. Today, which I never would have believed, but I do in the deepest core of my being, all is fundamentally good with me. All is fundamentally good with me. Thank you. We have, and I know because I know many of you, we have a God who loves us and cares completely for us. Um, I'm comfortable in my own skin today most days, which I never was growing up. It was like, you know, I was in the, you know, that out-of-body experience. I would critique every step, every 
way I talked, the way I walked, the way I thought, you know. I'm comfortable today, most days, in my own skin. And as we say in AA circles, you know, I'm really most times happy, joyous, and free, free to be who, I, who God created me to be. That doesn't mean that there hasn't been hardships and struggles. Um, that's a part of life. Yeah. But today I know that I'm not alone, that um, God is with me. I have new friends, many of you who are in this room. I have um, wonderful partners in life. I think of Rich. I've been with him almost 16 years now. I think of my adult kids who are just a, such a blessing to me um, um, in, in my life today. And I have great friends, and I have this great church community. Um, and I just love how we're all kind of striving to figure it out together. How to be that inclusive church, you know, that is open to everyone, uh, to open to all of God's children, which um, is a wonderful thing to me. Um, so I just want to end, and I want to say, too, it's, sometimes it's better, sometimes it's not. This is life's journey, one day at a time. So I, no one, I'm not preaching from any level of perfection, believe me, and those of you who know me <laughs> know that. But I want to end with uh, just a, um, a little reading from the uh, AA's uh, 12 Steps and Traditions. That they, it's a book that covers what the 12 steps are and then what the traditions are about really my life and how I want to live it today. So still more wonderful is the feeling that we do not have to be specially distinguished among our fellows in order to be useful and be profoundly happy. Not many of us can be leaders of prominence, nor do we wish to be. Service gladly rendered obligations squarely met, troubles well accepted and solved with God's help, the knowledge that at home or in the world outside we are partners in a common effort, the well understood fact that in God's sight all human beings are important, the proof that love freely given surely brings back full return. The certainty that we are no longer isolated or alone. Uh, no longer, there is no longer a need to be square pegs in round holes. Um, but we can fit and belong in God's scheme of things. There is, there are, these are the permanent and legitimate satisfactions of right living, for which no amount of pomp or circumstance, no heap of material possessions can possibly be substitutes. True ambition is not what we thought it was. True ambition is the deep desire to live usefully and to walk humbly under the grace of God. Thank you.
send us that uh, quote. It'd be great to put it out in an update that is terrific. Um, so Brene Brown uh, wrote this book by uh, coming up with a team of researchers and interviewing people like Tim um, and, seeing, and learning from their experiencing and distilling the experience in the book. And she's just asking, how do people find connection with others while at the same time having the courage to be true to themselves when they differ from group? She thinks that's a challenge that is like a, a uniquely modern um, challenge or a particularly modern challenge in this age. Uh, Brene Brown says that the wilderness is where we work that out. I think we saw that in Tim's story. In his case, it lasted for a period of years. Uh, uh, Brene Brown describes four required practices that we learn in the wilderness. And I just want to read you the chapter titles just to whet your appetite. They are... Um, People are hard to hate close up, move in. Second, speak truth to bullshit, be civil. Emily gets that topic, I don't, and I'm so bummed. Um, Hold hands with strangers is the third, and the fourth is strong back, soft front, wild heart. So today I want to explore um, what the wilderness experience is about. And I'd like to use the experience of Jesus who was sent into, by the Spirit into the wilderness at the beginning of his public ministry described in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Three of the four Gospel records talk about this. Um, because I think um, what Jesus experienced is actually uh, common, has some common patterns for, for all of us. There's always a set of particulars uh, that's unique for each of us, but then there's these patterns that emerge that came out of the research. And I'm going to look at Jesus' experience in the wilderness through that lens. So before Jesus was Jesus Christ superstar, uh, he visits uh, John the Baptist, who is leading a spiritual uprising in the Judean desert. And this is one that appeals especially to the poor, the disaffected, the religious outsiders. Jesus uh, presents himself to John. He's, he's unknown at the time, Jesus is. Presents himself to John for baptism. Baptism was this public um, ritual gesture that John performs to convey his message that God is near and we can be turning and being embraced by God, signified by being immersed in the Jordan River water. In the water, Jesus has a powerful experience of the Spirit. He hears the Spirit saying to him, we don't know phenomenally what this was like, but you are my beloved Son, in you my soul delights. So I'd say the emotional gist of what Jesus heard was, I'm right here with you, um, I like you, we can do this. And so this is super important in Jesus' life. Um, it's in all four of the Gospels, this experience. Uh, experiencing God in this way as Jesus did, a God who's with us, a God who likes us, a God who's going to do stuff with us as a partner, this is what gives us the courage for belonging. Um, and Brene Brown says there's a, there's a few, like, things for true belonging. One is to set and respect boundaries. Another is the uh, uh, courage to be vulnerable, to bring our whole selves as we are into our connections with others. And then the courage to stand alone as needed. All those things which are like skills for true belonging require 
courage. And Jesus' experience of God is what gave him fundamentally the courage to, to walk that out. So after this experience in the river, Jesus is sent by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, Mark's gospel gives us the shortest version of this. No embellishment whatsoever. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. So Luke and Matthew, they embellish that. They tell us what happened in the wilderness. But I like Mark's very blunt version. Luke says, the Spirit led Jesus in the wilderness. It's like I'm, I'm hearing, precious Lord, take my hand in the background for that. Mark says, the Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. And in my experience, that's truer to a wilderness experience. Um, the wilderness is not like a cushy retreat center. Um, the wilderness is more like it's a, it's a cascade of unexpected events that sweep over us, kind of like a hurricane without the benefit of the weather channel warning. And we look around and we say, what happened? So you think of the wilderness as like an unplanned, unanticipated, and disorienting shift in your circumstances or your emotional surroundings. So for many, the, the election actually is a big shift in our emotional surroundings. I, I got, a, I got a sad kick out of Lisa Kerko, uh, her Facebook post. She's like, she was just done. She's like, I'm turning off the news and I'm listening to Christmas music. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's got election blues. Uh, a wilderness is a place um, that appears barren at first. So the resources seem hidden. So our first response in the wilderness is like, where's the water faucet? <laughs> where's the thermostat? Uh, where do I plug in my electric toothbrush? Um, Emily and I lost our jobs uh, a few years back. Um, I'd say we felt driven by the Spirit <laughs> more than led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And our, our first response, or at least speaking for myself, is like, where is everything? <laughs> you know, all, all I see is wild things with glow stick eyes at night around me. You know, and then eventually uh, the hidden resources manifest and like messengers from God. Uh, many of you, for example, saying, hey, we can do this. Plant a church. Sounds like fun. I'm like, yeah, you've never done it before. <laughs> so there are common events that drive us uh, uh, into the wilderness experience, like groupings or categories of events. Um, loss of a spouse um, through death or divorce or, or Alzheimer's. Uh, uh, it disrupts all sorts of things that you didn't, you couldn't even anticipate. You often find your social network um, was organized around being a couple. Your finances shift. You often have to, you know, sell the house. Or people around you have their own grief. Um, oddly enough, marriage in some cases, and certainly remarriage, can trigger a similar kind of wilderness experience as loss of a spouse does. Um, geographic displacement. Now, you move to a new city, and all the daily habits are different, and all the automatic routes that you take are different, and your relational network is disrupted. Uh, you go from being pretty well-known uh, to being like a new kid on the block, and this is certainly a common Ann Arbor experience. A big job change 
um, a stretch of unemployment, uh, for sure, a life-altering medical event or diagnosis. Um, you know, the unrelenting grind of forces like racism and sexism as they affect you in a very personal way. Um, you know, we've got the serendipity doodah mama bears tuning in. I think it's like up to now 200 serendipity doodah mama bears. That These are women who, um, you know, this was their experience. You're in a cozy church that works for you. And one day your teenager tells you he's gay. Or your daughter says, mom, I feel like a boy inside. And it's been like this for a long time and it's not going away. Um, and you sense the spirit standing with your child. Um, so you do that, but when your cozy faith community <laughs> meets your love with accusation, you're like, all of a sudden, what used to be this friendly, warm environment is like a hostile environment now, or, or you experience what's even worse than overt hostility, like silent withdrawal from you, and it's, and it's like, what happened? So Jesus' wilderness experience actually was bookended, if you look at the gospel accounts, by some significant personal disruptions in his own life. He moved away from Nazareth to come down for baptism, and that was like a leaving home. And it was a little bit later in life, um, by all accounts, that he left home. It was a tiny village, Nazareth. I think it was like 400 in population. He eventually settled um, after the wilderness in Capernaum. It's a bustling co commercial center. Um, the Gospels later in Mark indicate that his uh, family was upset by his move. They actually came and tried to do an intervention to forcibly bring him back to Nazareth. So there's some family tension that he left his old connections. Um, add to that, it's like an enormous pressure as his mentor, who was also his cousin, John the Baptist, who's leading this big movement, is arrested. And he's thrown into prison, and so that throws the whole John the Baptist repentance renewal movement into disarray. And now lots of people are looking to Jesus because John had given Jesus his public endorsement just before he's arrested. Thanks a lot, John. You know, in the wilderness, you find yourself baffled at first. You have to sort through um, disparate, disjointed voices and experiences that are just a jumble and they don't make any sense at first. Your personal sense of self, your identity, and your place in a wider community is being tested or it's being renegotiated in the wilderness. So Jesus was sorting through two primary um, distinct voices in the wilderness that he couldn't probably differentiate at first. So there's the voice of accusation. In the, in the text, it's hasatan. It just means the accuser. Jesus was tempted by Satan, by the accusing voice. Um, I suspect that this was a voice that Jesus struggled to discern and fend off in the wilderness. It took 40 days for him to engage this. It didn't happen all at once. Um, we, we all know the voice of accusation. It's the voice in our heads. Um, if we're leaving one social network and people are displeased, there will be plenty of lingering voices of accusation rattling around in our heads. There's the voice of our own uh, ideals blaming us. There's all sorts of voices of accusation. If we're differentiating from our peeps, over something, um, if we're struggling to find the courage to stand alone, that fear that Tim said paralyzed him for years may 
manifest as just a, a constant um, stream of accusation. You're being disloyal. How could you possibly do this? Uh, if you become an ally to someone who is subject to accusation from others, you yourself will be subject to a little taste of that accusation. Um, voices of accusation can control us and paralyze us for years. I mean, this is a big deal. Uh, the power to resist voices of accusation come from the Spirit. And this is like an amazing New Testament revelation of who God is. It, that God is the power that allows us to resist the voices of... It gives us the power to resist the voices of accusation. Is not the voice of accusation itself. Um, Remember, the Spirit of Jesus is called uh, distinctively in the New Testament paraclete, which means defender of the accused. Jesus had a taste of that at his baptism. You're my beloved son in whom my soul delights. I like you. I'm with you. Uh, we can do this. That's the emotional gist of what Jesus experienced of God. So, at first... These voices, the voice of the Spirit, the voice of the accusations, all the, all the emotional stuff from leaving home and not knowing where you're going to land next, it's just like a cacophonous, chaotic, muddy noise machine in the background. Um, until you do the wilderness work of distinguishing and sorting the voices. Tim talked about like doing some like important inner work. He decided to go from the inside out instead of from the outside in. And with the help of the Spirit, you, that's when you find your own voice, but it takes some work on our part. So I did this exercise um, on a retreat that was very instructive. Uh, I thought it, I first thought it was, was kind of kooky, but I did it, and it, and it was quite uh, revealing. They said, take like a 50-minute walk around the, the nice grounds. For the first 10 minutes, tune into the visual cues around you, just the visual things, the sights. Notice things visually, how things shine and, you know, all that, colors. Then for 10 minutes, focus your intention on um, tuning into the sense of touch, so the feel of the heat of the sun on your skin or the, the breeze that's, you know, blowing on your, on, over your hair or, or touch the trees and I'd be walking around and I'm touching the bark of the trees and I'm touching the grass and the leaves and I'm touching the water and then for 10 minutes uh, put your focus on the smells around you. It's a little more challenging because our sense of smell is not so dominant um, and then I'll last the sounds around you. What are you hearing? And the instructive part of doing that exercise is that when you, with just intention, okay, I'm just going to focus on seeing and then feeling and then you, you, those senses are amplified for those 10 minutes and you realize, oh, there's a lot going on and this is a lot more interesting place I'm walking through. So in the wilderness, um, something like that is going on, only it takes longer than 15 minutes and it's not at a cushy retreat center. Here's how I imagine it unfolding for Jesus. At first, he's just surrounded by this muddy feeling of accusation. You know, I think of the Beatles song. Um, Sergeant Peppers, she's leaving home bye-bye. Does anyone remember that? You know, she, we gave her most of our lives. This is this, you know, young woman who's 
stayed at home too long. She writes a note. She leaves. She, we gave her most of our lives, is leaving, sacrificed most of our lives. These are the parents singing. Home, we gave her everything money could buy. She's living home after living alone for so many years. She's leaving home. Bye-bye. It's the saddest, most poignant song in the world. Imagine being that daughter finally leaving home. The voices that would be in your head of like, what a disloyal thing to do. And you know, when you are surrounded by muddy voices of accusation that just manifest as like vague feelings, it's so much harder to resist them. To resist, you have to first assess. Assess, where is this muddy, vague feeling coming from? And once you assess, then you're empowered to actually resist. So in the, in the wilderness, I imagine this going on. And, and what we have in Matthew and, and Luke is the, is the muddy voices crystallizing at a certain point and Jesus hearing, you know, what they're really saying, which, you know, was, if you're the son of God, do some tricks for me, is what, what the voices of accusation were, were doing. And then Jesus, after he assesses the voice, they, they crystallize into words, he can resist it. It's like, oh, no, no, get, get behind me. In the wilderness, Jesus has to learn to differentiate the voice of the Spirit, the voice of God, from the voice of accusation, and it's not so easy because of the voice of accusation presents itself as the voice of God. It costumes, you know, like a Baptist preacher after too much coffee quoting scripture like a machine gun at you that's that's how satan was talking to jesus in in the wilderness it was satan the bible expert just mowing jesus down with the verses the voice of the spirit was different though in emotional tone again i'm here i like you we can do this it's a totally different voice from a totally different source than that whining, insistent, accusatory, there's nothing you could actually do about it even if you tried voice. So Jesus came out of that 40 days and 40 nights with a whole new clarity. And, but it was the work he did in the wilderness that brought him that clarity. He actually had confidence in his own voice uh, and his own message I think it's telling in the Gospels that we don't actually hear the voice of Jesus until after he comes out of the wilderness. And then he speaks. And that's, that's the voice we know as the confident voice of Jesus. Um, Jesus um, has the courage to self-define. That's so clear in the Gospels. Um, he could disagree with his elders. And yet he could stay connected to them and have dinner parties with them and engage them. Um, he was up for forming a whole new set of relationships. That's what the church was for him. He was like hanging out. He, uh, you know, made his home in Capernaum. He met Peter. He met Peter's wife. He meet, met Peter's mother-in-law. He met Andrew. He found a way to connect with this new group of people. And, and he, was, he, was, he was on his way with Jesus after the wilderness. So, quiet reflection. We're going to uh, end our time with a little...
quiet reflection, remembering, of course, that we're all human beings and we cough and sneeze and we make noises and babies, you know, all that sort of thing. So relative quiet will suffice. Let me just, uh, you know, I'm guessing like for at least a third of you, this is not going to work at all. So if you're part of that third, you just use the time however you want to, okay? But um, uh, if you're part of the two-thirds um, and, and you're kind of maybe up for this, maybe uh, would take like a um, 30, minute, 30 seconds or so, sorry, 30 seconds or so to just um, calmly, quietly, maybe identify a time in your life when you had, a, had to battle through uh, voices of accusation that were particularly an intense time. Maybe you've already have identified a time in your life that's like a wilderness experience or identified something you're going through now as a wilderness experience. We just take 30 seconds at the beginning to identify that. And then once we've done that, um, I'll, I'll ask you to, you know, imagine if you can a God whose voice was entirely different than what you remember all that stuff feeling like. And, you know, I've suggested the emotional tone would be, I'm with you, I like you, we can do this. Um, you know, you could use those words if that's helpful to you. But here's the, the, the playful part, is that um, try imagining God as a character. Like, in the Bible, the thing about the, I love about the Jews is they, they have this vision of God. He's a character. He, God is like your daft uncle. Sometimes God is like this, you know, angry guy, and sometimes God is this this tender mother, but he's like, God is like a character in the Bible. That's, I think, the gift of the Jews to understanding divinity is the the divinity's manifestation is just like a character. Um, The movie, um, The Shack, you know, uh, presents God as like a, you know, motherly black woman who's, you know, and, and that works. So just pick, pick, um, a manifestation is God, of God in your mind as, as a character like that. Assign the gender of your choosing. We use he a lot because the Bible is written in a patriarchal society that's got nothing to do with actual God. Um, so, you know, maybe God would just have an arm around your shoulder. Um, maybe God would be your perfect counselor or therapist. You know, when I started therapy, I was like, I want a, I want a Jewish guy and I want a gay, gay person. And it could be a man or a woman. And that was like my ideal therapist. And I, that is my therapist. And I love my therapist. And, and my therapist talks to me and I hear God in the middle of it. So I, I might just use my therapist as the, as the God character. And uh, maybe I must be having some transference going on here. Um, <laughs> Uh, maybe, maybe you'd be fishing and, and, you, and you're not the touchy-feely type and you just like, uh, you know, someone who can fish with you and the way you talk, you talk about the fishing conveys, I'm with you, don't worry about it, everything's cool. Um, just create in your mind the idea of God as a character and sit with that for a while. So let's start with that first part, just maybe 30 seconds, just try to identify time in your life or set of circumstances where it felt like you were in the wilderness and the accusation stuff was swirling not to get into it so much but just to identify it um, in your mind so it's a little more specific
Okay, so now as you've identified that, um, just uh, and to the extent that you're able, this might be just very wispy, um, but just run with it. Um, imagine hearing, um, having a conversation with God where there's just an entirely different mode and feel than that. And, you know, even if it's like, I'm with you, I like you, we can do this. And if you can picture God as a, as a character of some sort, um, expressing that in the way, in whatever way the character would express it to you, just run with that for about a minute. Okay, I'm just going to end, close with a prayer. So God, I pray that um, the, the spirit of Jesus who uh, speaks in that way to us as Jesus heard that spirit speak to him would be amplified in our hearts and in our minds, that we would be granted the discernment to distinguish that voice from all the other voices in our heads and that in the coming days it would increase in um, vividness within our hearts. Amen.